Welcome to Hami Media Group, or as the cool kids say, HMG. We're here to provide you with the very best entertainment alternative media has to offer. Thank you to all our supporters who have made us what we are today. Follow us on social media, video, and podcast platforms at Hameen Media Group. Become a subscriber to Hameen Media Group at Patreon.com for great free daily content as well as off-the-top-rope extras. Subscribe to our affiliate Patreon channels with a plethora of fun content on various tiers that will bring tears of joy to your eyes. Vince Russo's The Brand, The Rip Rogers FR Podcast, Stevie Ray TV, Goldilocks, The A Show with Aaron Stevens and April Hunter, The Two-Man Power Trip, Velvet Sky and Angelina Love, The Beautiful People, and now... The Larry Hankin Stories. Support your favorite HMG and independent pro wrestling talent at ProWrestlingTees.com. Enjoy the ultimate meal with Zordo's Ultra Premium Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Head over to ZordosOliveOil.com. Start your day with the best cup of joe, bro. Try a fantastic selection of flavorful coffee blends at TheBrosters.com. StevieRichardsFitness.com. Get off that couch and make a healthy change without leaving your home. Amazing resistance band and yoga workout programs at an affordable price that will help you become a band new you. Hear from the pros who live the biz, bro, with talent that have worked for every major organization led by the man who put the attitude back in pro wrestling and in your ear holes. It's got to be russosbrand.com bro again we'd like to thank you for joining us here at hmg and now it's time to be entertained Through the years, we all remember when we first witnessed a national tragedy. We remember the good times and the bad times through either a song, a TV show, a monumental sports achievement, or even the smell of a particular food from when we were young. Welcome to the show that will take you on a journey through time to relive those iconic moments. Welcome. RTW Rewind, where old school rules. So, without any further delay, let's introduce you to the host of the show, Rad Rob Rob Francois. Hey guys, welcome back to RTW Rewind. I am your host, Radicalized Rob Rob Francois. I sincerely hope everybody's doing well all around the world. Thank you for being here. As you can see here, the gentleman to my right, he is from the Hitting the Marks podcast. He is the host of that weird fucking New Japan thing, Destino. Uh, what the fuck else did he do? Uh, he's, a, he's a producer for some shit here on HM. Uh, you guys fucking know who he is. It's the one and only... <laughs> My good friend, Dr. Jargo, Michael. It's good to see you, Rob. How how you doing, buddy? Good to see you. Good to see you. You you know, we've been talking about doing this for a while, and you were like, you get to pick the topic. And I was like, okay, we're going to do the 1994 Super J Cup. I'm going to make you watch a whole bunch of Japanese pro wrestling. And you were like, that's not happening. And I was like, all right, well, let's go to my other love then, 
let's go to the hottest band in the world, Kiss. And then you told me, I hate Kiss. And I was like, then we're absolutely doing that. This is going to be a blast. Uh, yeah, spoiler alert. I do not like Kiss. And I will tell you why. There, there's one major reason why I do not like them. They don't make good music. <laughs> you know, I, I, I heard this great quote about Kiss one time. I believe it came from, uh, it, it was either from Neil Bogart, the head of Casablanca Records, or their, their longtime management. Um, Kiss is a band that needs to be seen in order to be heard. And I, I think that is absolutely 100% true. To sit down and listen to a Kiss studio album, I can understand where somebody wouldn't get it. Yeah. Rad Rob, my question to you, have you ever seen Kiss Live? <laughs> um, I, no. It, well, there you go, no, no, Rob. No, 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 there you go. Hold on. There's the disconnect. The, the reason why I haven't seen Kiss Live because they don't make good music. I've seen all kinds of bands live that I think don't make good music. No, I have too. I actually saw Pearl Jam live, and I thought they were horrible. It was the worst concert I ever went to in my life. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I think the worst concert I ever went to in my life was Collective Soul. And uh, that is because those guys are amazing musicians. They put out incredible music that they cannot pull off in a live atmosphere because <laughs> you can only have three guitars. You can't have nine. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, but see, like, Eddie Van Halen got away with it. Like, you know, all the guitar overdubs and all that from Van Halen. But he was so talented, it, it didn't matter. His hooks were good enough that he, he can get away right. with that live. But you're right. There, there, there are bands that cannot get away with that live. And I will agree with you. Kiss was a spectacle. It still is. It uh, still is. It, it's definitely an entertaining show. It's like Motley Crue. Vince Neil can't sing yep. for shit live. Right. But the spectacle of Motley Crue was amazing. So, I, I mean, I, I do get that. Another one of my favorite bands. We can do another one of these episodes about the crew when they were still wearing makeup and wanted to be Kiss. Um, <laughs> I, 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 before we actually jump into the albums, before we talk about Kiss from 1974 to 1979, I had a couple of questions that as I was preparing for this show, a couple of things occurred to me. Did Kiss invent cosplay? Like, do you remember like people dressing up as like, you know, these, these larger than life figures for organized events before KISS concerts? Yes. If it wasn't KISS, it was like Star Trek. Like, whichever convention came first, yeah. I mean, that's that's a fair point. Because, yes, there were grown adults dressing up uh, like Gene Simmons, you know, with the fucking hair and, and, and the, yeah, all that. So, I get it. Yeah. And you bring up the conventions. Did KISS invent Comic-Con? Because the KISS convention started in the early 1990s, and it was just organized by fans originally, and then the band jumped on board. They started doing the acoustic sets. The original lineup gets back together for MTV Unplugged. I don't remember big conventions like that before the KISS convention. No, no, I really don't either. Um, I mean, you know, you got to give KISS credit. They know or knew how to market their brand. I mean, yeah, no I, other no other band was doing what they did. Well, in, in a weird way, of course, I come from the world of professional wrestling, and I got to thinking, like, 
Kiss was pro wrestling like before Vince McMahon got a hold of the WWF, right? Because it was all about the larger than life show. Yeah. It was about all the characters. There at one time there was a $25,000 bounty to get a photograph of one of the members of Kiss out of makeup. I mean like they it was original kayfabe, right? Like anytime <laughs> you saw those guys, they were the star child, the spaceman, the demon, the cat. Like there's so much of what kiss does that was just pro wrestling before pro wrestling got to that scale. No, you are right about that. Uh, Candace Baseman wants to ask you, uh, do you think kiss is from Japan due to the makeup? Uh, is that the only reason why you like them? <laughs> yeah. I, while I know that that is not true, they are primarily from New York and New York. Um, they did sell out an awful lot of shows in the Tokyo dome and a lot of people convince it with Kabuki makeup. So I could, I could see where, you know, you could make that correlation. Uh, if Rad Rob likes ACDC and not kiss, that explains a lot. I I do actually, I I love, I love ACDC. See, we are on the opposite end of the spectrum for that because I cannot stand ACDC. One, just give me one reason why, because every song sounds exactly the same. It doesn't matter if it's Brian Johnson or if it's Bon Scott or if it's the new freaking guy. Everything sounds the same. Can't you say the same for Kiss? Absolutely, you can say the same thing for Kiss. Absolutely. But I do not believe that to be true. Um, Because when, when you go and you listen to like the first three studio albums, when you listen to Kiss, when you listen to Hotter Than Hell, when you listen to Dress to Kill... They sound very, very different than Destroyer and Love Gun. And when you would get into Dynasty and basically the death of Kiss when they started playing disco, when they became a hair band, when they went and be reinvented themselves as a metal band, and then by the time they got to Psycho Circus, they were back to being Kiss again. You yeah. know, so I, I I don't believe that to be true, but I absolutely get where people say that. Let's start off uh, how Kiss got together. Uh, they formed in what 1973. Yeah, uh, and well, you, I mean, as you said, they're New Yorkers, so I mean, you know, Paul and Gene were actually in a band previously called Wicked Lester that was signed to Epic Records that basically did whatever was trendy at the time. Mm-hmm. And they went in and they cut the record and they realized the record sucked <laughs> and they walked away from Epic records and broke the band up in the studio, which is something I can relate to because that's happened to my bands many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Studio work is hard, man. It is. It is. I used to uh, help produce one of my best friends bands and uh, it is, it's very, very difficult, but it's fun. Uh, if I could ever get yeah. back into that, that's one thing I would like to do. If I could ever, you know, have like a, not say a hobby, but a, you know, another job on the side, uh, because I love, you know, and I do it here with HMG, it's producing audio and all that, but I would love to do that for a band and just get in front of that massive soundboard and just fucking have a field day. Fuck Pro Tools. Uh, right. I like the old school, you know, real to real stuff. That's why I bought a 16 channel interface. It's just nice. in case I ever need to record a band, right. you know, <laughs> I need a 16 channel interface to do a podcast. No. I mean, you look, that's one thing we have in common and that's, that's, that's something that you liked when you heard I was coming on board HMG because you would listen to my shows and you, you liked the professional sounding stuff, which yep. I, you know, we both pride ourselves in doing that. I mean, why do yeah. it if you're not going to put out a, uh, you know, a, a great product. Um, and, to br- and to bring it back to kiss, it's, it's very much the same way, right? Because right. even in the early days of kiss, when they were recording their very first demos to shop, 
they were recording at electric Ladyland, Jimi Hendrix, like personal built studio because Paul and Gene were basically marketing whores and just did a whole bunch of work for electric Ladyland for free. If they could use sound room. A. I I didn't know that. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Um, Obviously uh, people have joked about the name kiss over the years. They think it's an acronym for, you know, kids and satanic services and and, and stuff like that. Everybody always wants to think there's, there's something, uh, you know, huge and monumental tied to it, but it's, it's really not. Uh, They had seen a band called lips and Paul just thought, Hey, what about kiss? I mean, that's, that's how that, I mean, you know, something uh, minute like that ended up being, you know, a rock and roll legacy. Wanted something quick, wanted something snappy. And, and that's very much what they got. Um, did you like the makeup or were you a fan of, cause I mean, it's, well, it's, it's the show. It's just, it's a spectacle. Were you, and I know this isn't part of what we're getting to, but it does kind of tie in a little bit. Were you upset that they, um, unmasked, so to speak in 83? Well, see, that's the thing, right? In 1983, I was four years old. I had no idea who fair. Kiss was when, when I fell in love with Kiss was basically when they were trying to be a hair metal band, you mm-hmm. know, when, yeah. when they were doing hot in the shade and when they're doing crazy nights, like that was my introduction to Kiss. I actually ended up going backwards and falling in love with the original lineup because they sound very, very different. Once, yeah. once look it up comes out. I mean, like that early punk rock influence is essentially gone. You know, but that early stuff, it's so raw. That's the thing that's incredible about it. And you have to understand the New York music scene in 1973. Like the New York Dolls are the biggest band in New York City. Like they're they're going absolutely crazy. Kiss even tried to do that. Like they were wearing the super feminine stuff. And it just it didn't work because Gene Simmons is like six foot two and two hundred and fifty pounds. Like Gene Simmons looking feminine, not necessarily something that's going to happen. So they're just at rehearsal one day. And rather than doing like, you know, the, the girly makeup, one of the guys made just kind of an offhand comment. Let's go down to Woolworths and let's get, you know, some clown makeup. Let's be clowns. And they all kind of looked at each other and were like, actually, yeah, let's do that. And that was kind of the beginning of what we would come to know as kiss and full makeup. I mean, it's smart. You want to do something to stand out from the rest, especially with the, the shit that was going on at that time, you know, with, with disco and, and that whole, you know, weird drug scene. And then, um, you know, doing something like that. Yeah. I mean, it set them apart from everybody else. I mean, same thing happened in the mid eighties when everyone, everybody went to glamps. I mean, they want to be different than, yep. Then, you know, then the other bands out there, like, you know, the, once MTV came out, you had to have your own identity because, you know, MTV was huge. Uh, and, and I mean, people say like, oh, well, it was never that heavy. Like the music wasn't that heavy. They were like, and it's when you think of 1973, yeah. I mean, you're talking Black Sabbath is probably the heaviest yeah. thing on any kind of mainstream I, for that time period, those first three albums were really, really heavy, and they didn't sell well at all. No, I agree. I agree. Um, and, you know, going back and listening to some stuff, because I did, I did a little bit of research today, and I said, you know what? I'll give it a second chance. I'll listen to the early stuff, because I was a fan of their stuff in the 80s. I liked Lick It Up. Um, the first video I ever saw them was Let's Put the X in Sex, and when you're 13 years old, 
you're going to like that video. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, that, I was a big fan of that. And later on, like, I don't know, like everybody talks about like Beth, you know, Beth is a great song, but I mean, it's kind of overplayed. Uh, Rock and roll all night. I mean, everybody knows that song. It's like pour some sugar on me for Def Leppard. It's just, it's one of those songs you're always going to hear at a bar or a karaoke or whatever, because that's all anybody wants to hear. But you are right about the early stuff. It is very raw. It's kind of, it's untamed. Really, like yeah. they, I don't think they had really found their sound yet until the latter half of the seventies. But well, the, it, the early stuff was that was, was I don't want to say groundbreaking, but I mean it was. I mean, well, yeah, it was. It, 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 other than Sabbath, nobody else was really doing that. Right, and uh, when you really listen to those, the, especially the first three albums, Kiss, Hotter Than Hell, and Dressed to Kill, those it sounds like a power trio. Mm-hmm. With Ace Fraley playing guitar over the top of it. Like, even at that time, Ace was just kind of off in his own little world. And outside of guys like Jimmy Page, people were not playing like that on a guitar. What Ace Fraley was doing was absolutely groundbreaking and innovative before you get to the smoke bombs and the lasers and the fire. And it, it was just incredible listening to what we would come to know is like the eighties guitar solo over basically seventies, Northeastern punk rock. Uh, Candace Faceman said before Lick It Up was released, other teens were laughing at kids fans like me. They only remembered I was made for loving you. Oh, we don't talk about that song. We don't. That was such a dark time. There are some songs that, yeah. I mean, I, what were they thinking? You know what I mean? Were they trying to do something, you know, to get like, I don't want to say a one hit wonder, but something that's catchy, poppy, something they can hit on the radio, especially yeah. like during the disco time. I mean, that, that has to be the only reason why they would do that because it goes against everything that they stand for. Yeah, absolutely. And th- one of the biggest misconceptions about kiss is that they were having all this success. And <laughs> that was not the case, right. especially in the early and mid seventies, because what happened with Casablanca records is it was in the seventies, the labels made money off of selling records yeah. and that was it. The live events and merchandise and whatnot went directly to the band. So while kiss is doing very well, they're selling out arenas all over the world. Casablanca records was damn near going under. They're borrowing money from people in New York whose last names end in vowels and Casablanca was damn near ready to go belly up. And that's what led to a live. And that's what really broke kiss into that mainstream. And it was just because Casablanca was like, we cannot afford to put you in a studio to record another album. Yeah. Let's do a live album. And that's what really broke it. And when Alive came out, uh, people that had heard some of the early stuff were like, wow, like that's completely different. It, it's, again, mm-hmm. it's raw, it's guttural, it's untamed. It's, you hear the crowd in the background. I mean, it's, it was a genius move by them to do that. Um, it, you know, that captured the excitement of what it would be like to go watch them live. Uh, while you couldn't see them, uh, you could hear the intensity. You can hear the emotion from, from them and from the crowd. So, I mean, I'll, I'll give them credit for that. And I actually am a fan of that album. Um, it was the right move at the right time. Because you're right. If, if, if they hadn't done that, Casablanca would have probably went under. And Kiss mm-hmm. may have been looking for a new job. You know, it, it, I don't know if other labels were, were ready to hire them. Well, no, because everybody hated them. 
I kiss was getting thrown off of tours left and right because the headlining bands were, we don't want them to open for us. Have you seen their stage show? <laughs> yeah. Like, and then we're going to go out there in our t-shirt and jeans and stand in one place and play our music. Like kiss redefined what the live experience was and all those hair bands, all the, all the bands through basically even today. I mean, with these giant stage shows, Garth Brooks is a self-admitted giant kiss fan. And that's why his show is so big. It's so much larger than life and kiss kind of defined like expect better yeah expect to see a show not just if you want to just listen to the music go buy the goddamn album yeah we're in the same brainwave as soon as you i thought of garth brooks you mentioned it uh garth was uh a huge uh kiss fan uh he i think even uh did a kiss song for um was it a tribute kiss album? my ass yeah to kiss so hard luck woman i think he did yeah uh, and is, a great version of it yeah. too yeah and i was a big garth fan too don't don't tell anybody, but uh, I love me some Garth Brooks. I'm yeah. just mad at him because his music is not on Apple music. True. Yeah. yeah he's, he's been one of those guys to kind of protect his brand. Uh, but I mean, a lot of other bands have done that too and, and finally gave in, but he, for whatever reason he didn't, I don't agree with well, the Walmart deal he made, but you know, it's Garth Brooks. And, he's the biggest country artist of all time. And to, to bring it back to Kiss, they were the exact opposite of that, Yeah. right? Like it, Kiss's brand was, if it can have our name on it, it should have our name on it. And they launched <laughs> the merchandising empire. Yeah, no, no, that's true. And nobody marketed their brand like Kiss. I mean, nope. literally anything and everything you could think of, they made. Whether it's, you know, bobbleheads, uh, puzzles, you know, uh, uh, underwear, toilet paper, anything they could put the kiss logo on. They sold it. One of my personal favorite Gene Simmons quotes, we had kiss condoms and we had kiss caskets. We'll get you coming and going. <laughs> I love that dude. I love Gene. Gene. What would the band be the same without Gene? I, I feel like anything no. that was creative was all him. You, Gene Simmons has said that when kiss was in its prime as far as the merchandising of kiss goes his he would wake up in the morning he would open his eyes he would look at the beautiful woman next to him or women next to him and his first thought would be how am i going to make money today mm-hmm. and that's what they did i mean they just hand over fist and that was actually kind of the beginning of the rift between paul and gene ace and peter because ace and peter just wanted to make rock and roll and be rock and roll stars and cut records and get high and get drunk and whatever whereas paul and gene kind of recognized this is bigger than what the band is speaking of chris Peter Chris was, in my opinion, an okay drummer. He's the worst drummer the band ever had. <laughs> and he got even worse, <laughs> you know, at the end of, of the 70s, for whatever reason. Uh, well, they, because they, he they was said so his, fucked up, really. Yeah, I but, mean, you know, his skills declined. I'm like, well, he didn't have skills to begin with. Was it kind of like a ring? I'm not going to say Ringo was not talented either, because Ringo's a fantastic musician, but not a great drummer. Uh, is, it, he, is it like the Ringo factor? Like, he was just friends with everybody, and that's why he was in the band? Well, no, the, the infamous ad that Peter Chris answered drummer willing to do anything it takes to make it. Yeah. And Gene calls him up and he says, are you skinny? Do you have long hair? 
will you wear a dress on stage if we ask you to? Like, literally whatever Pete had to do. But when you get to the roots of Peter Chris's drumming, he's a jazz drummer. That's very much what he is, and you can hear it in his jazz fills mm -hmm. throughout, especially the, the early 70s stuff. As the band got better, as they started working with better producers and they started writing better music, better compositions and whatnot, Pete had a really hard time playing on Destroyer and Rock and Roll Over and Love Gun. It just was not his style, and he was incredibly fucked up at the time. I mean, it, by his own admission, he was incredibly fucked up, and he was just checked out. He was burned out. I, that first year in 1974, Kiss released two albums, mm -hmm. and then they went on tour for two years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it just an absolutely insane schedule, and Peter Chris and Ace Fraley really just could not handle it. Which is unfortunate because, like you said, Ace was doing things that nobody else was doing, and Ace was a very, very talented guitarist. Who did he learn from? I I, I assume a spaceman, maybe maybe the <laughs> Aranaki or something. You know, we'll we'll have to get Giorgio Sukalos on uh, where Ace Fraley learned how to play guitar, because I I really think Ace was a big fan of like you know the the Chubby Checker James Brown like R and B kind of stuff, and then he would just kind of mix it in with what was rock and roll at that time. And then of course the Beatles came along and just kind of changed everything. They did. Uh, and you know, the Beatles influenced a lot of bands. I'm sure they influenced kiss and obviously kiss in turn influenced, like you said, Motley Crue, you know, Metallica, a lot of your early bands that like stage presence too. Um, what do you think would have happened if, it was almost like, a, I mean, I mean, it's kind of in hindsight, but it, it had the potential to be a Beatles thing. Like two of the original members were leaving. Yeah. You know, Gene and, and Paul could have said, fuck it, you know, and because they'd like doing their own solo stuff as it is anyway, which they did. Um, but can you imagine if they just would have broken up then if that was it, you know, no more, no more kiss. It's that's in a, lot, a weird that's a way. It, it, it's kind of victims of circumstance right because even as early as 1976 they had other guitar players coming in to play aces parts on the records because mm -hmm. ace was so fucked up he couldn't even stand up and get into the studio yeah. so I, I i think they that rotating kind of situation was already kind of built into the business model as a result of ace and pete you know yeah and paul and gene were smart i mean they were the business guys they were the creative guys so i mean i understand why they made it you know i understand why they stayed and why today they're still prosperous you know what i mean and they also got incredibly lucky finding eric carr yes eric i carr mean eric there. carr was in my opinion still like one of the top like five drummers of all time yeah. i freaking love that guy and and i was literally listening to car jam before I came down to record this and I'm just listening to those fills and it's like 1981 is when that was recorded. And it, it sounds like anything that you would hear from the late eighties, mm -hmm. he was just so far ahead of his time. Well, he was very, very good. Uh, and it, I mean, unfortunately, you know, they lost him, uh, you know, which it's, it's hard to do, but you know, I, I know this isn't part of 1979, but I thought Eric Singer did a decent job filling in for him. 
Eric Singer is a fantastic drummer, and that's why he has played with everybody from Sabbath to Alice Cooper. I mean, like he is a professional musician, and I, I think he just fits that band fantastically. I love Revenge. Revenge is one of my favorite Kiss records, and it's Eric Singer all over. Right. What was the reason why they want to do the solo albums? What was it 1978-ish, somewhere around there? The the solo albums were a direct result of what was going on inside of the band. Um, Peter was ready to quit the band. Uh, Ace was wanting to do more of his own kind of stuff. And so basically to put a Band-Aid on a torn carotid artery, Gene and Paul were like, well, let's, let's take a little break. Let's all go off. We'll do our own solo records. And then we'll release them all at the same day with all the kiss branding and everything. And then we'll come back together and we'll, we'll go on making music. That was the plan. But unfortunately it was just a bandaid on a wound that was cut. So, so deep at that point. Do you think that should be included in the kiss fodder? I mean, the kiss cannon. I mean, it's uh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and really the, the, the funny thing is, Ace was really the only one that had any kind of success off any of those solo records. Right. Yeah. No, it's true. It was just weird to me. Like when I go through their catalog and look at the anthology, it's like you look at the first three albums and you look at live, and you're like, oh, hmm, that's that's weird. Each member yeah. had a solo album, and they're all released at the same time. And then we'll just get back to another to our albums again. I don't know. It's just to me, it's just a weird continuity thing. I I, I couldn't really wrap my head around it when I went back and like. That's just an odd thing to do when they're, like you said, selling out across the world. Uh, everybody wants to see him in concert. But, you know, with your explanation of what was going inside, on inside the band now, I do understand that. But at the time when I first learned that, I had no reason why that was a thing. Like, it just seems like a, I don't want to say a selfish thing to do, but it's like, you know, Richie Sambor was the same way. He always released solo yeah. albums when he was in Bon Jovi. Uh, you know, Sammy Hagar like doing that too. So I, I get the want to, to have, you know, a different creative outlet. Um, but if Chris, if Peter, Chris and Ace Freely were burnt out, why'd they even go along with that? Right. And, and I think the other thing at a certain point, Peter, especially resented the makeup mm -hmm. because Peter wanted to be a rock star and he couldn't walk down the street and people didn't know who he was. And I think he was incredibly frustrated by that. And I think Ace had a, a bit of that as well. But Paul and, and, and Gene were okay with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Gene Simmons was getting laid half of the time. The ladies would ask him to keep on the makeup. I mean, like that's, that, that's in his yeah. first book. And <laughs> in a weird, fucked up kind of way, it makes sense to me. Paul Stanley wanted anything that would take attention away from his right ear or their lack of because Paul Stanley was born without a right ear, um, which is a, a weird thing all in itself that he could sing that well, only being able to hear out of his left ear. I mean, when you say sing that well, I mean, that's, that's kind of subjective. I didn't think he was a great singer to begin with, but I think, I think he was a perfect singer for that band for that music. I mean, he, maybe, but I, talented, like, I don't think he's a great singer. Like if, if he were to go in any other band, I don't, obviously it wouldn't sound the same, obviously, but, 
maybe he was just made for that style of music, but I don't think he's a talented vocalist. Well, I, I think when, especially when you listen to the stuff from the mid eighties, when you start getting into stuff like forever, I think it absolutely shows off Paul's vocal pipes. All right. That's fair. And you know what? Just, just to do you solid, I'll actually go back and listen to that and see if you can change my mind and I'll, I'll, I'll let everybody know because I, I just never been, maybe, maybe it's just me. I've just never been a fan of his voice. Look, to not have a right ear and to be able to sing in key. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people with two ears can't fucking do that correctly. So, I mean, that that's pretty amazing in and of itself. I just, Was there, I is, is there a better front man? I mean, like Paul no, Stanley no, no, no. as the front man for kiss. Yes. It, it, it's hard for me to come up with anybody much better. 100%. You are right. Because there is a difference between singer and front man. And front man. David Lee Roth is a perfect example of a great front man. To me, can't lick. fucking sing at all. I, I changed my mind. That was the worst concert I ever fucking saw when Van Halen reunited. I think it was like 2011, 12, uh, somewhere. Yeah. They came to Nashville and I saw them. Eddie Dave was couldn't up. sing in 1984, let alone in 2001. They put a fucking wood parkade thing on stage so he could fucking dance with his fucking shoes off and kick and jump and do all this fucking shit. It was literally the David Lee Roth fucking dancing extravaganza. Eddie was fucked up. The guitar was too loud. Wolfie, I mean, Wolfie was doing a great job, and Alex were great, but God damn, dude. It, we had to, we left. And I'm a huge Van Halen fan. I've seen Same. every incarnation, including Gary Sharon, who even Same. still did a better job than David. David was horrible. I like Van Halen 3. I thought it was a good freaking record. There yes. is some awesome material on that album. Yeah, pal. Absolutely. Um, but getting back to Kiss, you're right. Paul was a perfect front man, an absolutely great uh, uh, stage. He had, he had great stage presence, had great charisma. He knew his part. He knew how to get, he got the chicks wet. I mean, that's, that's, that's what a front man does. You know what I mean? That's, that's the seventies and eighties lifestyle. He got the chicks wet and Gene banged them all. That's right. <laughs> With his tongue or other, <laughs> other parts. So, um, <laughs> I don't even know how to segue from that. <laughs> uh, going into uh, 1979, uh, they were continuing their platinum streak. Uh, Dynasty was their first new material in two years, uh, which obviously had I Was Made for Loving You on it. Um, but that was a pretty well-received uh, received album. And obviously the tour did well because it was the return of Kiss. Everybody was looking forward. You know, they were thinking of putting up a, a Kiss fucking theme park, for Christ's sakes, because that's how huge yeah. they were at that point in time. Yeah, absolutely. And I was made for loving you as a kiss fan. I hate that freaking song <laughs> because it, it it's, it's literally a disco song. Yeah. That's very much what it is, but I'm fine with it because you have to know what was the time period, who are the people that they're trying to reach. And by that point, disco was everywhere it had taken over everything and they're trying to reach another fan base like all elite wrestling we talk about them all the time they they have to market to the casual fan yeah. they have to pull in people that aren't already watching the show and that's what kiss did with i was made for loving you in 1979 i mean they're playing out kiss songs inside a studio 54 you yeah. think they're gonna start playing firehouse hell no they're playing i was made for loving you and it reached a whole nother demographic it did i mean so like i said earlier it was the right thing to do it was the right thing for the radio 
uh, radio equals money. If they're not playing, and this is a dead model now, I think, but if they're not playing your songs on the top radio stations in the country, you're fucked. No one's going to hear about you. And that's how the Kiss Army started. Yeah. I mean, the, it, it started in Terry Hot, Indiana, and it was a bunch of Kiss fans surrounded the radio station, like that freaking movie Airheads, <laughs> and demanded that the radio stations start playing Kiss. And then Gene and Paul were like, oh, there's another way we can make money. Yeah. So again, and so yeah. they put together the Kiss Army. That's a brilliant move. I mean, they've always been Absolutely. one step ahead of everybody else. I'll never doubt the creative uh, genius uh, of Paul and Gene. I mean, that, that's without question. They are the most successful band of all time. When you really look at the whole business model, the fact that they're still making money today. I mean, people and people will always know who Kiss was. There's a lot of and bands believe, in that era that, that aren't even around anymore. I believe when you look at the list of who has the most gold records of all time, I believe they're number two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're right. That's, about, I think you're right about that's that. That's pretty freaking good for a band that couldn't <laughs> sell albums, you know, for right. like the first three, four years of their career. Yeah. No, no, that's true. Uh, it's funny. I was reading an article about uh, what happened after Chris left. Uh, I saw that one of the people that auditioned to replace him uh, was Tico Torres, who obviously, you know, plays for Bon Jovi and has been with them since the inception. But I, I never knew that. That he, I think he would have been a good fit for them. That was, uh, I never, I never knew that fact. Huh. That would have been, that would have been interesting. Uh, instead they, they end up with Eric Carr who was fixing stoves before he became the drummer <laughs> for kiss. Yeah. And I, to me, I, I think that they really, really screwed up when they did the elder because the elder really pushed Ace Fraley away from the band because he thought it was a stupid idea. It was, it was a bad idea from bad creative as Chris Jericho would say. Um, it, if they would have released creatures of the night at that point, instead of music from the elder, I think that the future of the band may have been a little bit different because Fraley, while he's credited on the album, he did not play at all on creatures of the night. Right. Uh, and, and, and creatures is another one of my favorite kiss records and it, it sold horribly when it was released. Yeah. But for, for that time period, creatures of the night came out in 1982. I'd put that up against pretty much any release from 1982. And the biggest thing was Eric Carr on drums. Right. Um, the elder was a weird thing because going back to the correlation of what, what the guys were talking about on chat, it was a soundtrack for a movie that never came out. Garth yeah. Brooks's persona, Chris Gaines, which Sonic and, and Candace Spaceman were talking about in chat. That album that he put out was supposed to be for a movie starring Garth Brooks. And that never happened either. So it's kind of weird to see the correlation between the two. They have nothing to do with each other, really. Uh, but the fact right. that, you know, they were big influence of Garth. It's just kind of funny that the same thing worked out, but it was weird, like medieval horns and, and it's harps and synthesizers. It was just, I don't know. It was just a, uh, it's almost like, you know, getting fucked up on acid and listening to like, you know, Pink Floyd or whatever. They wanted to do their Tommy. Yeah. That's what it was. It, it was supposed to be Tommy. What what Tommy is to the who is what they thought the elder would be to kiss. And it was a terrible swing and miss. But they're still kiss. So, I mean, they were able to survive and, and get away with that. I mean, anybody else probably wouldn't have been able, been able to do that. But since they had that name recognition, and been around that long, and like you said, sold out you know crowds around the world. They had a little bit of leeway to, to fuck up. 
I mean, music from the elder only sold 375,000 copies, which for kiss, like by modern standards, <laughs> they'd be, people be like yeah. salivating yeah. over 375,000 copies. But for kiss standards, it was terrible. More importantly, this is where fan attendance started to drop as, as the hair band started to show up and kiss was kind of becoming, you know, that band from the seventies that was hanging on creatures of the night. As much as I love it, the creatures tour did terrible business and that's when it became, okay, it's time to take off the makeup, which I get. I mean, I, I completely get why they had to do that. I mean, that reinvent themselves again. Why not? And like, yeah, that's another, you know, Chris Jericho thing, being able to reinvent yourself every few years. I mean, it's, it's smart. Um, another fun tidbit that I found out, Eddie Van Halen almost joined Kiss. I've heard this story. Alex convinced him to stay in the band, but Eddie and, and Roth were not getting along. They were completely at odds. They hated working with each other. Eddie wanted to join Kiss. He was willing to break up the band to go join another mega band, which would have been weird, right? Like, his sound wouldn't have mixed with the style of Kiss. They're two completely different animals. Right. And this is after the Vinnie Vincent experiment, because <laughs> Vinnie Vincent was... Replacing Ace Fraley was a very, very tough gig to have to begin with yeah. but vinnie vincent personality wise if you know anything about vinnie vincent and anything about gene simmons in particular <laughs> that was not going to work yeah. in any way shape or form i'm interested in what that would have sound like because going back to what we were talking about with those first three albums it's a power trio yeah with Ace Fraley playing over the top and Kiss with Eddie Van Halen, I imagine Eric Carr playing on drums, Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, and then Eddie playing over the top. It might have actually been a return to what Kiss started as. Because when you listen to those early Van Halen records, I can absolutely hear a lot of Kiss influence, especially in Van Halen 1, Van Halen 2. You're right. No, you're true. And Eddie was such a musical genius. He would have been able to adapt to anything. Absolutely. Just, I don't know. It just would have been weird seeing him trying to fit in, especially if, imagine if he stayed in the band and they went back to makeup like 20 years later and Eddie had to wear, like, had to come up with his own, his own character. What, God, what, what, what would, would Eddie be if, if he was in Kiss? That's what I was just thinking. Like, what would Eddie Van Halen's <laughs> makeup have looked like? Yeah. Maybe he would have been an eagle. <laughs> Fucking no. Uh, that would have been something something to see. So when you take the early years from KISS uh, pre-makeup, what do you think that legacy uh, is? Is it just, like you said, for being the groundbreaking uh, concert, uh, you know, the groundbreaking show they put in concert, uh, the raw sound that they had? What do you think the lasting legacy for the original lineup was? I mean, we saw them years later when they came back for the reunion. Completely, you know, Ace and Peter were still shell themselves. Um, but the original incarnation, what's what's their lasting legacy? I Their lasting legacy is going to be the makeup and it's going to be the show, right? I mean, like when, when they released Psycho Circus, that title track, Psycho Circus, I felt like was the Kiss biography of the 1970s. That's really what it was. It was a Psycho Circus. And I they redefined 
what the concert experience was supposed to be. And even still to this day, I feel that they have done it better than anybody. I've seen kiss live nine times and they are nine and they are nine of the best shows I've ever been to in my life. All of them for different reasons. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. playing the same set list. I mean, I I saw them three times on one tour. It was the same set list all three times. And you didn't care. But I didn't give a shit, man. Because it was about the show. And it's hard to describe to somebody like yourself who has never been to a Kiss concert (laughs) what it's like being at a Kiss concert. It's... it's like you left planet earth and walked into planet kiss because the entire kiss army, the kiss fans, it's just a different kind of vibe that I don't know how to explain it. I, I, what I remember, I saw kiss in Detroit at tiger stadium in 1999 and being in Detroit rock city, when (laughs) they play Detroit rock city, it's pretty cool. I can't explain to somebody what that energy felt like and everybody they're kind of like heroin. They're like the music industry's version of heroin. Everybody is chasing that high that kiss established going back to 1973. They were already traveling with the giant letters and spitting fire and spitting blood. Like they started that way. And now we've got guys who can't even make music in their freaking garage anymore. They got to sit downstairs on their computer and do it. It's sad. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really sad what the music industry has come to. I mean, a lot of the great bands are still around like Metallica, Motley Crue's making a comeback. If they ever, I was supposed to go see the stadium tour with Motley Crue, Poison, Def Leppard, and Joan Jett. Thanks fucking COVID. Uh, that's rescheduled next year. I hope everybody stays alive until then because to me, that's like my mega concert. Like, I'm a huge fan of all those bands. Poison's a Some, fantastic concert band. Someday, I will tell you the story of when I met uh, Ricky Rocket. Nice. Okay. Good deal. I'm looking forward to hear that. Um, wrapping up here, dude. You know, you are right about the Kiss experience. I've seen videos of it, but I mean, watching stuff on YouTube can't compare to to being there. Obviously, um, and like I said, the only thing I could kind of compare that to is Motley Crue. I mean, you look at Tommy Lee always wanted to do something crazy with his drum riser. Peter Chris did a lot of that too in his concerts. I mean, that's pretty much a direct ripoff. Uh, you know, I remember uh, Tommy for the Girls, Girls, Girls tour. Uh, his riser went up. He was in a big cage and it rotated. Spin he was playing around. upside down. To be able to play like that, spinning and fucking sir, Dude, Tommy Lee's a fucking, he's the man. Um, but you look at uh, Shout of the Devil, uh, you know, with the fire, with the, with the, the goth kind of look. That, to me, looks like almost like a, a poor man's version of, of Kiss. So you could see a lot of influences in, in their stage show. Um, the last show I saw of theirs was uh, the Carnival Carnival of Something tour. And it Carnival was, of Souls? Yes, Car- Carnival of Souls. And it was just like a big, fucked-up evil circus. So, I mean, yeah. that right there, I mean, if that doesn't scream Kiss, I, I don't know what does. So, I mean, they were able to put on a great show. Nikki Six. Was a very very good songwriter, um, but uh, you, you can obviously tell the kids' influence. So, you know, every generation spawns another version of you know the previous one, and to me, that's just that's it for kid. You know, what what kids' legacy is in my mind is that you know just a groundbreaking band that 
kicked down the fucking door and it completely rewrote the mold for what a rock band should be. And that's what they I, were. They took the very best of what Black Sabbath was doing and the very best of what Alice Cooper was doing. Cooper too, yes. Yeah. And then they magnified it by a hundred. Yeah. And that that was kind of the business model. I there's there's a great story of the four of them actually went and saw Alice Cooper in New York City at the garden. And they thought when they put on the makeup, let's have four Alice Coopers. Like it was a whole band of Alice Cooper. Yeah. And that was exactly what you got. Yeah, I forgot about him, you know, with, with the whole welcome. <laughs> When I first saw the video for Welcome to My Nightmare, I was like eight, nine years old when it was on MTV. And I'm like, that's some of the scariest shit I've ever seen in my life. Right. And Ozzy Osbourne was doing similar stuff, you know, too. You know. Did, you, did you ever hear the story about how Gene Simmons broke up Black Sabbath? No, no, I didn't. So evidently Kiss was the opening band for Black Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And Gene's like in full get up and everything. And Geezer Butler comes over to him and Gene's like in character the whole time. Hey, how you doing? Yeah. You know, like, and like freaked Geezer Butler out. And Ozzy told Gene much later that that's when he knew Black Sabbath was done. When you're getting freaked out by the opening band, <laughs> there's nothing more to do here. Yeah. It, like, and it's like, wow, Gene Simmons broke up Black Sabbath. How badass is that? No shit, right? Yeah. You know? That's a great story to end on. Michael, I appreciate you being here, brother. I know uh, our hours, our schedules are completely different. Now you got to work tonight, but I do appreciate you taking time out. You look spiffy. You got your kiss tie on. I got Heart my kiss tie on. I was all excited to wear my kiss tie tonight. <laughs> uh, but it's always good to talk to you, man. Even if I don't like this stuff, which I had fun with this, you know? Um, I told you it'd be fun. You're all like, this show's going to suck. I mean, no, man. Our shows are always good. We always have good chemistry together. Um, and this was a fun subject. I really do want to get back and talk about Motley Crue because that is Hell yeah. a passion of mine. Like, that was my jam you know, back in, like, 83 to, you know, even today. Uh, so do, you know, do you know why Mick Mars quit playing Les Pauls? No. Because they're too heavy. Mm, that makes sense. Can you believe you like? He's still he able to play, though. I mean, like with his back and shit. He would like, go into Guitar Center Hollywood and get like the new Les Paul to mm -hmm. see. And he was afraid that if he played it for too long on stage, that he would literally fall over because <laughs> yeah. of his back and how fucked up it is. Yeah. But so he had to quit playing Les Pauls. Yeah, I didn't know that. But it is it is amazing that he was still able to play in that carnival tour because his back oh. was so fucked up. And still today, I don't. I'll have to dig in to see how he how he did it. Uh, maybe it's a lot of drugs, or I don't know. Like I didn't think he'd ever be able to play again. They had a documentary like, before that tour, like of how fucked up his back was, and he talked about like all the procedures he needed to have done. And it's like he couldn't even stand up. Motley Crew on drugs? Are you serious? <laughs> Those good Christian boys—they would never. There's a great story about Motley Crue sniffing ants yeah. on a tour bus with uh, Ozzy, Ozzy Osbourne yeah. because yeah. they were out of cocaine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he started sniffing ants off of the floor. We're definitely. My gonna, God. We're going to have to dig into that. The Dirt was a fantastic. Uh, I have the book and, and the, the movie they put out for it was very, very good, too. Uh, I read the book. I did not watch the movie. I think it's on Netflix if you want to check it out. Yeah. I might, I might do that sometime at three o'clock in the morning and I need something <laughs> to keep me awake. Right. Where can we find you on social media, brother? And let everybody know what you got going on with all your other projects. 
I am a podcast whore in the immortal words of George Carlin. If you got a fucking podcast, I will be there. Um, you can keep up with me across all social media platforms at not Jargo. Although I don't really use social media a whole lot these days. It's absolutely the devil, but I have to market my podcast. So I'm still on there. Uh, you can also keep up with the hitting the marks brand at hitting the myself and the real RBV and our dose of social commentary. You can keep up with my other passion project, Japanese pro wrestling destino a new Japan pro wrestling podcast, Chile's number one podcast. How about that? Rad Rob, they love me in Chile. I'm over huge. Uh, we just dropped a new two hour episode today with uh, myself and the GAG from the PWC, my man, Jimmy T, my boy from down under. We, we did two hours talking about summer struggle as well as the big Tokyo dome show that's coming up this weekend. You can also find me over at the big veto brand. I'm over there doing men of, of business with virtue and veto and me and virtue got another show that i recorded earlier today called virtues rage i'm i'm everywhere bro i like i'm podcasting every day it's a good thing i built a new studio right i mean like geez i love i spend so much time in here i love your new studio and you're also doing uh stuff with pods too john pods from the tmpt empire yes yes every thursday we discuss who is and then fill in the blank. We recently did uh, who is the greatest junior heavyweight of all time. We've done who is the greatest intercontinental champion of all time, the greatest faction of all time. So a lot of good stuff going on over there at patreon.com slash two man power trip. I love John Pods. He's a friend of the show. He's a great guy. I, I'd love great to be on dude. that show with you guys because that is one of my favorite listens. Uh, who is especially the, the Mr. WrestleMania with Shawn Michaels. That was that was my jam. That, I love Shawn Michaels. That was a great. Those are great shows that you guys have done. God, we did like a four part series about <laughs> yeah. who is the real Mister WrestleMania. Yeah, you did. So all good stuff, brother. I appreciate you being here. Uh, as always, you're welcome back anytime. Uh, anytime your schedule allows. Uh, but it's always fun, dude. It's always fun talking to you. Yeah, my pleasure, man. We will absolutely. We will sit down. We will do a Motley Crew episode. And uh, if you wish, since you sat down and did a Kiss episode with me. <laughs> I would be happy to sit down and do a Bon Scott era ACDC episode with you. Uh, but we have to stop after Back in Black because after Back in Black, <laughs> the, the homage to Bon Scott, right? Like one of the greatest albums of all time. Even I will admit that. Yeah. But we have to stop there because everything after that is just, dear God, man. Like, no. Yeah, pal. Yeah, it's good uh, shit. On that note, guys, thanks for everybody here that was watching on HMG YouTube channel. We appreciate all your support. This audio version will drop this coming Sunday on the Mean Media Group affiliate channel and the Rat Rob Radio Network. Until then, guys, thanks for listening and thanks for watching, and we'll see you on the next one. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of RTW Rewind. For all the latest news and announcements, please follow us on Twitter at RTW Brand. You can also follow Rad Rob at Rad Rob Gaming. You've been listening to RTW Rewind exclusively here on HMG on Realm and the Rad Rob Radio Network.